But we're going to finish up talking through uh, our Who Cares series as we've been talking about uh, caring as a congregation and caring for one another and what that looks like in the church. And we kind of process over the last few weeks. So last week we, we spent time, or the first week we, thought we spent some time talking about, you know, the foundation of the church. The fact that God is very clear that he calls the church to be a family of, of, of people. That we are brothers and sisters in Christ. That, that God has formed us together to, to live and function and be an actual family together. Where he is our, our father. And, and this is God's family that he has created. And then last week we spent some time talking about how God has designed his church to be this uh, priesthood of believers that he has designed us to care for one another and to minister to one another and that we all have a responsibility in that and there's no such thing as you know uh we we talked about clergy and laity and, and there's no such thing as well that's their job and this is my job or their responsibility and i'm i'm just along for the ride that when we really understand the church we are created to be a, a body, a family that is, everyone has a responsibility and a role as we function and minister to one another. Today, we're going to finish this up and talk about um, how we are called to actually care for one another. Kind of looking at some, a little more practical understanding of caring for one another. If we understand that we're a family... If we understand that God has designed us to function as a family, when we understand that he has designed us all to be active in the health of the church, then we're going to finish with understanding uh, how we live that out. Um, How do we actually scripturally look and and, and live that out? So um, with that, we're going to jump into Acts and very well-known passage of scripture when it talks about the early church. Uh, but we have this, this place in Acts chapter 2 and we, we see this beautiful thing just happened. We see in, 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 in Acts, we see that, that Jesus you know, tells the, his, his followers that he is leaving and he ascends into heaven and he says, you know, uh, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And just in the first couple chapters of Acts, that's what we get. We get Jesus ascending into heaven and we get the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and we get the birth of the church. Um, in this moment where, where all of a sudden all the apostles go out and they start preaching in Jerusalem. And we have the very first uh, mass uh, proclamation of the gospel. And we see this outpouring of God's grace. And the Bible tells us that over 3,000 people joined the church in one day. Right? So the church went from um, this small, intimate family thing... Right, this gathering of, of a you know a hundred or so believers, okay, and in one afternoon the church went to a mega church, right, instantaneously. And, and so this is what we see is, is this outpouring, and then the first thing that we get told after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and after the birth of the church and after the city is turned upside down by Jesus and by the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We, we get a glimpse into how the church functioned. And the Bible tells us in chapter 2, verse 42, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now, this is what we're going to focus on today. It's just, these four, this, just this one sentence. Because this gives, gives us a foundation of how the church actually cared for one another. Notice that what we are told in Scripture is that the early church, the believers, devoted themselves to four very specific things. To the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And right here is the foundation of where we can start when we think about how we care for one another in the church. So, when we think about devotion... Um, unfortunately, I know for myself, when I think about devotion, uh, many times I think I've watered down the idea of being devoted to something. Um, you know, it, it, it intrigues me how, uh, um, I, I think about sports with this one a lot, uh, because while I enjoy sports, I'm not a huge fanatic about it. Uh, you know, like 
others are with, with maybe what their team is. And, and some people have a devotion to their team no matter what. High, lows, whatever it is, they are, they are 100% devoted to that team. But what I find most interesting is, is when we have people, and I can honestly say I'm guilty of this too at times, that become devoted to their team when they're winning. And they're not so devoted when they're not, right? Um, it's funny, Amy always, she, a few years ago, she, not that she was like frustrated about this, but she made sure to point it out to me. This, this wasn't me doing anything bad, by the way, but she'd point this out to me, thinking I needed to know this. But it, when we moved away from Missouri, we, we lived close to Kansas City. And we had tons of friends down there that, this is what cracked us up, they never said one word about the Royals, ever, right? Never went to a game, never wore anything Royals whatsoever, right? Then they won some stuff, and they were the biggest Royals fans in the world, right? And she just felt the need to always point that out. She's like, they don't even like them. Like, they never even watched them. And so when you think about devotion, sometimes I think devotion gets watered down because, you know, we can be very devoted to things when it's easy. It's easy to be devoted to things when it's easy, uh, when it's simple. Um, and, and a lot of times we think about devotion in this context of, well, we love something or we're at least, you know, I'm committed to something. Um, when you look at the deeper meaning of, of devotion in Scripture, especially this idea of devotion, like the early church was devoted to these things, these four things. I thought it was interesting as I dug a little deeper with this on what that really means. To be devoted in the context of this word is to give relentless care to something. I love the word relentless. Not just care, like relentless care. Like you're not stopping me in this. I am relentless in caring for this thing that I am devoted to. Okay? Um, another deeper understanding of this word is it's to be steadfast in your attention to, stump, to something. Like this idea of steadfast is no matter what storms of life may come, no matter what comes against it, no matter what the difficulty might be, I am steadfast. I stand firm in my attention to these things. To this thing that I am devoted to, I stand firm. No matter what comes against me, no matter what tries to knock me down, no matter what tries to take away my attention, I'm going to be steadfast to this. And with that thing in mind, another way to understand this word is to not faint or falter in the things that you do. My devotion makes it that I do not faint and I do not falter when it comes to these things. So when we think about devotion in this biblical understanding of what's being presented here in Acts, we're, we're being told that the early church gave relentless care to these four things. That the early church were steadfast in their attention in living out these four things. That the early church did not faint or falter when it came to living out these four things. They were devoted to them. They were not just uh, an add-on to life. Th this was the core of how they functioned together and how they lived together and how they, they watched out for one another and how they cared for one another as they lived out these four things. See, these four things were primary to the early church. And, and the church was uh, made sure that they never neglected these four things. As I was thinking about the church and how we as Christians are supposed to uh, live with one another and how we are supposed to care for one another, I got to thinking about how the church should actually be considered countercultural. Right? The world should look at us and they should see how the church functions and how relationships within the church function and they should actually be countercultural. Like, it should just seem different. And, and it's always been that way, even since the early church, and it should still be that way today. Let me share with you an actual letter that was written. This was written in uh, 130 A.D. 
It's a long time ago. 130 AD, this is what one person wrote when they were talking about the church. He said, For Christians are distinguished from other men, neither by country nor language, nor the customs which they observe. For they neither inhabit cities of their own, nor employ a particular form of speech, nor lead a life which is marked out by any singularity. The course of conduct which they follow has not been devised by any speculation or deliberation of inquisitive men. Nor do they, like some, proclaim themselves the advocates of any merely human doctrine. But but inhabiting Greek as well as barbarian cities according as the lot of each of them has determined and following the customs of their natives in the respect of clothing, food, and rest of their ordinary conduct, of their ordinary conduct, they display to us their wonderful and confessedly striking method of life. They dwell in their own countries, but simply as travelers, as citizens, they share in all things with others, and yet endure all things as if foreigners." Every foreign land is to them as their native country, and every land of their birth is the land of strangers. They marry, as do all others. They have children, but they do not destroy their offspring. They have a common table, but not a common bed. They are in the flesh, but they do not live after the flesh. They pass their days on earth, but they are citizens of heaven. They obey the prescribed laws and at the same time surpass the laws by their lives. I mean, it's a lot to say, but basically what they're saying is when we look at the Christians, they're different in how they do life together. Like, not just the way they live, you know, not in the way that, like we're following the rules. It's like just the way they, they, they interact with each other. You know, they, they're, they're part of the city, but yet they don't have a city of their own. They're part of the nation, but they don't have a nation of their own. They're, the, people would look at the early church and say, there's something different about these people. And I love how it ends where, you know, this person says, they obey the laws, but yet by the way they live, they're a life are their law all of their own? See, when people look at us as Christians and they look at not just how we live out in the workplace and how we live out in the community, when people look at us and how we live with one another, how the church, how Christians interact with each other, how we care for one another, how we provide for one another, how we watch out for one another, how we uh, love one another, how we do all of these things, the rest of the world should look at us and say, that's different. But let's just put it out on the table. What do most people see when they think about churches? I mean, I'm not saying our church, but listen, I've, here, I've only been on this earth for 43 years, and I have seen more infighting in churches, more splits in churches more arguments in churches. I have seen more people in churches calling themselves Christians fighting over scraps. And the world looks at us and says, I don't want none of that. I don't want none of that. When I was 19 years old, 19, 20 years old, that was about the time where I was like, I want nothing to do with church. Uh, the reason I got to that point was because I had finally gotten old enough to discover the hypocrisy of, unfortunately, a lot of Christians. Let's just be blunt about it. Come on. I mean, people, there's a lot of, there's a lot of Christians that are hypocrites. I'm one. But when I was younger, it got to the point where it was like, I want nothing to do with this. And, and that's when I completely rejected anything to have to do with church. And I got my, my, my group of friends that, that uh, one of them is still, I still consider him one of my best friends today. Um, he was never really a Christian. Still now I question his faith, even though he's made movement in that direction. But he said something to me once that made me feel more accepted outside of a bar in Shellsburg than any Christian has ever in my entire life. 
right? Um, here we are, we're sitting outside a bar in Shellsburg. Now, mind you, I was like 1920 at the time. We should not have been drinking in Shellsburg, but you could get away with things, okay? Um, here I was, sitting outside of Shellsburg. I was sitting, uh, this is God was like, it was one of those weird instances where I was trying to run from God. God was trying to pull me closer to himself. There was a lot of tension, and I found myself sitting outside of the bar, uh, sitting on the street, and I was just, I was, I was just a very emotional. Like God was, it was one of those moments where I was, I knew I shouldn't have been where I was. I knew I shouldn't have been doing what I was doing. I was very emotional and I was sitting there. And here's the thing, when you're 20 years old, um, the last thing you want to do is be crying in the middle of a bar in Shellsburg. Okay. So that's why I got up and went outside because I'm not going to be crying in the middle of the bar. Um, and, and I'm sitting out there and my friend comes out and of course, you know, you're doing the manly thing. Uh, like, oh no, I'm fine. I'm fine. Fine. And he comes and he sits down next to me. And he says to me, we're just sitting there together. And, and all of a sudden, he just looks at me and he says, and it still chokes me up now because it meant so much to hear the, him say this. But he looks at me and he says, listen, I don't care how old I am. I don't care where you're at. You could be on the other side of the world. You ever need me, you call me and I'm there. And that was the first time I ever felt somebody was like, that's 100%. Like, and I say that not, but that's what we should feel inside the church with one another. That's why I'm sharing this. It's because God wants his family to be like that, where it doesn't matter where you're at or what you need. If you need me, you call, I'll be there. I had to wait till I was 20 years old to hear that from a drunken friend outside of a bar before I believed it from the mouth of somebody. And I'm, not sh- I'm just sharing that because that's, that's the, when I think about the church, uh, that's what the church should be like. And I get, we're, we all have, we have to grow into it. We have to, I mean, don't get me wrong, it's not going to instantly happen, and, and we always have to fight for it, but that's what it's talking about when it says devoted. They were devoted to these things because they were devoted to one another, and they were devoted to Jesus Christ. But again, I go back to some of what I talked about last week. We've been duped into treating church more like an organization where I see some people on Sunday versus a family that says, no matter what, no matter when, no matter where, you need me, you call, and I'll be there. That's, that's, the, that's countercultural. That, that tells a world that what? It's, you're not being selfish. You're, so, so when you think about this, it's just, you know, this is what the devotion is. The enemy desperately wants to weaken our understanding of church as a family. He desperately wants to remove the idea and the understanding that the church is meant to be a family. Because he knows that if you can do that, when you need somebody the most, you're going to be by yourself, and then you're easy pickings. And that's why it's just so important that we understand this, and we get excited about it, and we say, no, that's what we're called to be devoted to. Devoted, more than just warm, fuzzy feelings, but devoted, relentless care for something, steadfast in our attention to something that we do not faint and we do not falter. Now, Let's walk through these four things that the Bible tells us the early church was um, devoted to. First and foremost, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. I'm not going to go into great detail with any of these because they're pretty straightforward. First and foremost, the early church was devoted to truth. That's what they were devoted to. They were devoted to truth. They were devoted to Jesus. They were devoted to the truth that Jesus proclaimed, that Jesus taught, that Jesus gave us. That was first and foremost. Was to be devoted to Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior and King of the church. The, ones that we, the one that we give everything to. They were simply devoted to Jesus. That's what we need from one another. I need you to be devoted to Jesus. Because your devotion to Jesus is what Jesus will use 
to motivate me to be, to be devoted to Jesus. We need one another to be devoted to Jesus. We need to speak truth to one another. We need to speak the teachings of Jesus to one another. We need to care for one another enough to actually hold one another accountable. To encourage, to inspire, to challenge. The unfortunate thing is many times... Two things I think happen when it comes to us living out this being devoted to the teachings of Jesus. First, we stay quiet out of awkwardness. We don't speak um, the truth of Jesus with each other. Maybe we feel awkward with it. Maybe we don't feel like we have the right to. Maybe whatever it is. We don't challenge one another with the truth of Jesus. And, and the second problem is that sometimes we don't speak. And then the second problem is that sometimes we speak too much in the wrong way. See, see the reality is, is there are sometimes we're really good at speaking the truth of Jesus, but we're doing it in a very judgmental way at one another, and that don't help none either. But we're called to be devoted to the teachings of Jesus we're called to be devoted to Jesus, and I need you to challenge me in my faith walk with Jesus just as much as you need me to challenge you in yours. And it's not just about challenging one another, it's inspiring one another, it's encouraging one another, it's cheering one another on when it comes to the teachings of Jesus, that we, we bring hope to each other when, we, when everything in us says it's not possible, we need to be the ones that look at each other, each other and say, no, it is possible. I can't overcome. No, you can't overcome because Jesus says you, says you can. In fact, Jesus says you already have. This is the kind of thing we need to be devoted to is that we speak the truth of Jesus to one another. You, you ever, I, I find this interesting sometimes. And again, this is something I'm guilty to. And it's, it's not to say that it always has to be like a, 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 a big a sermon, you know, like that we're, whatever we're doing is a big, like, Bible study or whatnot when we get together. We, need, we can have fun together. We can enjoy one another. We can uh, talk about many, many, many things. But one of the things that always makes me uh, kind of laugh to myself is when uh, I get together with other Christians or even with leaders in the church, and the whole point of it, we, we did it here not a month or two ago. Um, I invited, we had some people that I was like, hey, come, let's spend some time praying together. And it was interesting because you ever have those moments when you get around other people and you spe- you're like, hey, we're going we're gonna to pray for an hour and you spend 45 minutes talking? And then you look at yourself and you say, we should probably do some praying. <laughs> Again, there's nothing wrong with that to a point. But do you ever notice how easy it is for us to actually spend all of our time not actually interceding and, and, and bringing Jesus in, but we can waste all of our time just talking about things that don't matter? You know? And then we, we treat Jesus as the afterthought. Like, oh, we better do some praying real quick. Let's get this done. Again, there's nothing wrong with us spending those kind of times together. But at the same time, um, here's the thing. Um, I have learned very quickly that I don't need chit-chat. I need people that are going to bring Jesus into my life. That's what I need. And I need, that's what I need the church for. I need Christians to challenge me. I need Christians to inspire me and encourage me. I need Christians to speak truth to me. I need Christians to come and say, hey, let me tell you about what God's been showing me. I just want to share it with you because I'm excited about it. I, I just need Christians to be like, hey, you came on my, you, you're on my mind. Jesus, you know, God just prompted me to be praying for you. We don't interact that way very well sometimes. We're very surface. Right? I'm very surface. I enjoy being surface. You know why? Because surface is safe. Surface is easy. Surface is, I can control surface. Right? I like controlling surface. Because that's the whole point. I like to be in control. I'm going to give you an example. I'm not going to go into detail with this, but just this last week, uh, I, was, I was invited over to somebody's house to, to do something that we've been talking about for the last year about uh, coming to truth with where we're at with, with God. It's hard for me to explain, but it's supposed to, it was supposed to help me, 
you know, growing my relationship with Jesus. I go in with, I'm a very skeptical person, right? Um, I'm like, okay, this is, this is literally what I said. You go first, right? I'll watch, okay? Because then I'll find all the reasons I think it's a bunch of, you know, what, right? So I watch. And I'm, I'm listening, and they're, they're going through these questions, and the person's guiding them through this thing, and, and they're talking, and I'm like, okay, this, and as they're talking, I'm sitting here thinking about stuff, and I'm like, oh, how would I answer that question? And I'm thinking through all this stuff, and um, I was like, well, that was interesting. After it was done, I was like, man, that's, in my brain is what I'm thinking. Man, that stinks. We wasted all our time. I gotta, you know, I think I need to go home. That was kind of my mindset. It was like 8.30, 8.15 at night. I was like, it's, it's time to be done. And um, the person looks at me, he's like, well, aren't you going to go through this? I'm like, suck. <laughs> so this is what I did. I'll give you 30 minutes. You got 30 minutes, and then I got to go, because my wife's missing me. <laughs> I don't even think she noticed. So that was my attitude. I got to get home. So here's the thing. We start going through it. Um, here I am thinking, I know the answers to give. I don't know what God did, but here I am, just tears running down my face. And I was like, I didn't expect this. I like surface. But we don't need surface anymore. Jesus didn't call us to surface. He called us to him. And that's not safe. And we need each other to do it. That's the point. And, and that's what he calls us to, to be devoted to truth and to his teaching and, and to push one another to go further and deeper and not just surface. Because I don't want to deal with emotion. I don't want to deal with my heartache. I don't want to deal with my fears. I don't want to deal with those stuff. But that's why Jesus gave me the church was so that y'all would help me. Do we realize that? It's not meant to be surface. Second thing the Bible says is they were devoted to fellowship. This is so much more than potlucks. Um, that's not what we're talking about with fellowship. In fact, a lot of translations of the Bible say that they were devoted to the fellowship. Meaning they... The, the early church was devoted not just to truth, but they were devoted literally to one another. They were devoted to the bond that God had created between them, and they did everything they had to to protect it. In, fa in fact, one of the words that I came across when I was researching these words was the early church actually cherished one another. That they cherished one another as a family, but this word cherished kind of got me. Okay. Now this is going to sound really, I'm going to give you another example of life. Um, some people collect baseball cards. Some people, like when they were younger, some people collect, you know, um, I got a lady that I know that collects pig stuff. I don't get it. Her house is full of like 2,000 pigs. A little overboard if you ask me, but whatever. Everybody's got their thing. Everybody here has probably got your thing that you just kind of collect or you, you like to have. This is going to sound really foolish, but it's the truth. Matt makes fun of me about this because I'll buy things that I don't need. I started at one point in time collecting DVDs. Here's the thing. Not to watch them. I just liked my house looking like a movie store. Right? I had this thing where if you came to my house and you said, I want to watch this movie, I'm going to be like, I got it. There was something about that to be like, I got it. Right? That's, that was my, you know, I just, that was my thing. And I was, this is, this is how bad it was in Missouri. In Missouri, I mean, here's the thing, all alphabetical order, but not just that. You had to separate them by genre, right? Like, it was, it was, it, it was a thing, okay? It was a thing. Um, where I had actually youth come over and organize them for me. Because when I had kids, they liked to decide to unorganize them. So, anyways, here's the thing. We invite, this is, when you think about cherishing something, um, we had some people over one time that were new to the church, and, and they were young, and, and we were talking, and we were doing all this, and I wasn't watching, they weren't watching their kids, and when you think about cherishing something, <laughs> all of a sudden, this kid comes walking into our, our, our dining room and say, look, mommy, look what I found, 
and he was holding one of a copy of one of my movies and he had torn it and it was all ripped up and I remember everything in me was like I want to kill this kid <laughs> but they're new to the church and that wouldn't be good and everything in me was like it's okay it's okay you know like that was my stupid thing to cherish right but here's the thing when you cherish something like there's man there's importance to it right like you hurt if if it's not treated the way you want it to be treated there there's a concern like you're going to fight for it you're going to protect for it you're going to hold it with esteem because it's something that you cherish And this is what it talks about when they devoted themselves to the fellowship. They cherished each other. They held one another to high esteem and regard. They cared. And when somebody tried to attack one of their brothers or sisters, they stood and fought for one another because they cherished each other. When I was thinking about cherishing, the thing that went through my mind was, and and I'm not calling anybody out with this one, so please, because I don't know. But you know one of the things that breaks my heart that's in the church a lot more than it needs to be, and I'm guilty of this too, just is, isn't it interesting how much we can gossip about each other in the church? But how do we cherish for one another at the same time if if we just talk down about each other? And I'm not saying, I'm just saying church, and I've been in a lot of churches where, man, isn't it heartbreaking to see how Christians tear each other down so easily? But yet, how do we cherish? That's what the Bible says, is they cherished one another. That they, they safeguarded and they fought for one another. Just something I think about when I was just kind of processing through this idea of what's it mean to cherish the fellowship. The Bible tells us they also were dedicated or they were devoted to breaking bread with one another. Now, a lot of times when you hear this, I think a lot of people think that the assumption is this is this has to do with, you know, of course they broke, you know, communion. They they took communion together. That's how I've heard it talked about. And I'm not saying this isn't about communion. But here's the thing that's interesting about communion is when the early church used to have communion together, they didn't do, they didn't do it like we do. It wasn't this quick thing. They had a meal together. Like they 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 had a, they sat down and they had a meal together. They they fellowshiped together around the table. Now here's the thing. Um, I don't. I, I like when you go to other people's houses. And, and you know when you're, you're, you're moving up in being accepted into their, their, their family. Um, when you first go to somebody's house and, and you don't really know them that well, you're kind of, you're in the foyer, right? right? Like, you can come talk to me, you can come like, this is, or, or maybe I'll take you to the nice living room, but you're not coming to, you know, any further than this. You know when you've made it, when you walk into their house and you're like, man, I'm thirsty, you know where the cups are. Like, you know when you made it, when you can just walk in and open up, the, you know, open up the fridge and be like, what you got to eat? That's when you know you're part of the family. It's when you can just help yourself to the kitchen. That's when you, when you know you've made it. When I think about breaking bread together, that's what I think and envision with the church. Is the church is supposed to be a group of people that are so devoted to each other. So devoted to their connection with one another in Jesus. That... We're that kind of family with each other. I get it right now. Everybody here is thinking, you're looking around me like, there are some people, you are not coming into my house. <laughs> and you are not getting into my fridge. Um, I'm not saying you have to be that close to every single person in the church. But, um, man. I don't know, all that keeps going through my mind when I think about this is we need to do a better job of just being close with one another. Like, this, this is my house. You're welcome to my house. Here's the thing. Anybody in this place right now, you are welcome to my house anytime you want to come to my house. You're going to be in a dirty house, but you're welcome. Sorry, honey. 
but I don't care. Not that you didn't like that, but here's the thing. I, I just think, I, I would love to see, I want to be part of a church, uh, again, I want to see us, I want to see myself be part of a church where, I, man, I don't care. Come to my house. Come see behind the mess. Right? You can ring the doorbell, and you were going to get, you were going to get my frustration, because I care about you. Anybody that doesn't know, I had three youth, ring my, ding dong, ditch me, in one night, for, I understand, but it was still annoying. I say that with a lot of love and care. In fact, it was so bad. I just got to share this. It was so bad that the last person to come was uh, Shauna. And I was upstairs, and that doorbell rang again. And all you, obviously she heard it because all I did was go, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> and then I hear her chuckling outside my house. <laughs> but can I say that's the kind of stuff, I mean, we're laughing, but that's the kind of stuff that I'm saying we should that's the kind of stuff I want in a church. I know, right? Because <laughs> we can joke about it, and we can have fun about it, and we can be a family together and break bread and, and sit around a table together. And, and, and I don't know, there just seems to be a lot of awkwardness too much in the church. where It's not supposed to be. Right? Because in the church, how often do we fall into this idea of we protect what we say and we're guarded about what we say and, and, and we keep people at arm's length? Um, one of the reasons I keep people at arm's length, and, and I have to fight this, and, and I still do today, um, is because I, I judge a lot of you based on the wounds that I have from before. You get what I'm saying? I take the wounds that have been caused to me by other so-called Christians or other churches and I instantly put that on you and say that's why I have to hold you at arm's length because I don't want to have to go through the pain that I went through before. And that's the stuff in the church that we have to say, no, I want to be devoted to the fellowship. I want to be devoted to breaking the bread. I'm going to be devoted to taking the chance that I might get hurt again. I'm going to take the chance that somebody might say something that's going to wound me because it's that important. I'm that committed to this. Saying, come in and see the mess. Come in and see all the stuff we don't have together. Come see that our marriage is struggling. Come see that our kids are rejecting or causing problems. Come see that I'm scared or come see that I'm concerned or worried or whatever it is. Make the list. But that's the kind of thing when I think about the early church, they were devoted to that level of intimacy with one another. But then that's what I love about the last one because it says and they were devoted to prayer. Because when I think about this one and I think about all the other stuff, this one I, I, I love the most because... Not only are we intimate with one another, not only do we share our lives with one another, but when we start invoking God in prayer together, this is the number one thing that's going to unite our hearts together in a way that we have never experienced before. And here's the thing. I don't need you to be a friend to me just to be a friend to me. I need you to be my brothers and sisters in Christ that bring God to me. That's what I need. I don't need buddies. Right? That's my thing. We can be, that's the thing. Matt, here's the thing. Matt is probably my best friend. I know that's crazy, right? I mean, let that just sit there for a second. We're not there yet. Just kidding. But here's the thing. Um, Matt is probably, you know, my, you know, we do a lot of stuff together. We, we, you know, as, as Carrie used to say, I haven't heard this said for a while, but, you know, like, we'd have our mandates, you know, we'd go to our movies together, we would do this stuff. We have a lot of buddy stuff. Here's the thing, while I consider him a great friend, and he's an amazing buddy that I can hang out with, I don't need Matt as a buddy. I need him as my brother in Christ that brings God into my life. That's what I need. Take all the other fun stuff that we do, and that's nothing compared to the moments when he challenges me and he brings God into my life. 
That's what I think about when we say prayer. It, it was like this morning when I, I didn't feel good and I was sitting here and I was like, I don't know if I'm going to do this. First thing Matt did is he stopped. He's like, let's pray. Matt's the one that might challenge me or encourage me or, or at times he's the one that, that God uses to teach me patience. See, some of you got it. Some of you got it. It's all right. When I think about the early church were devoted to prayer, they were devoted to not just do life together, they were, invo- they were devoted to do life together in the context of bringing Jesus into their midst. That, that's, what we're, that's what we're called to be, is I need you to bring Jesus into my life. I want to be intimate as brothers and sisters so that you can bring Jesus into my life. Now, as we think about all that, this is then, the scripture goes on. And it says, everyone was filled with awe. This is the rest of the passage. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Listen to the results. Just off that, I'm going to go very very quickly. Listen to the results of a church that is devoted to one another. When we are devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to breaking of bread and to prayer, these are the results. This was a church that the power of God was manifested among their midst. The Bible tells us the people were in awe by signs and wonders. Right? Because of their devotion, they were in awe by the, the power of God being unleashed in their midst. The Bible also tells us that not only that, these people, this church, they had a ridiculous generosity. The Bible tells us that they sold things to help one another. They gave away property to help one another. They gave away possessions so they could help one another. There was unbelievable generosity in the church for one another. The Bible also tells us there was this amazing intimacy among the saints. It says, again, they broke bread in their homes. They ate together. They, they did life together. There was an intimacy where you could just show up and you could just have this moment of conversation and, and a family together. And then the Bible tells us that they increased daily. God added to their number daily. Think about this for a moment. This was a church that nothing in here says, hey, they had the best programs, they had the best preaching, they had the best music, they had the fanciest building. It had nothing to do with that. It had nothing to do with their advertising or any of that kind of stuff. But the Bible tells us that because of their devotion to one another, the power of God was unleashed in their midst. There was a ridiculous generosity of them taking care of one another. There was an intimacy as they all did life together, and God added added to their number daily. Why? Because the world looked at the church and said, I want to be part of that. Here's the thing that went through my head. Man, I want to experience that kind of church. I'm not saying we don't do amazing things here. That is not what I'm saying by any means. But I am telling you right now, do you know what kind of church I want to be part of? I've said this before if you've never heard me say this. I want to be part of a church sometime in my life where, man, people show up and they're like, hey, what are you doing here? And I don't want to hear, well, because I saw your advertising or I saw this or I saw that. Those are great things. I'm not against them. But I want to hear somebody say just once in my life, God told me to show up here. Like, I, want, I don't even want to be here. But man, God told me to show up. Like God himself drew me to this place. I want to experience that. I want to experience unbelievable generosity amongst the saints. And I say that for myself because I don't like giving up things of mine. Intimacy, man, wouldn't that, I just, that's a church that would just be amazing to be part of. So I share this passage and I share all this because I, want to just, I just want us to think about this for a moment as we think about care for one another. The care that God wants in his church 
is care that is impossible to exist apart from the anointing power of God in our midst. See, we can care for one another the way the world does, but Jesus says, I'm not calling you to care for each other that way. I'm, caring, I'm, I'm calling you to care for one another above and beyond that. Remember how Jesus said, he's like, great, you help people that help you, or, or you're nice to people that are nice to you, or, or you do all these things. You, you know, pagans do that. Here's the thing, as we close out this time of thinking about this care series and just how we care for one another, have you ever stopped to realize that the care that God desires for us within the church is supposed to be so radically different that it doesn't even look like the rest of the world? Ever thought about that for a moment? Because the rest of the world doesn't have the thing that we have inside this place. And you and I are bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ and filled with the very Holy Spirit of God. Our care for one another should be radically different. Radically different. And the beautiful thing about this care is it's not just about you caring for other people. It's about you caring for other people while they're caring for you. Right? This isn't just about you giving yourself to everybody else. It's about you giving yourself so that others then give themselves to you. And there's this care for one another inside the church. And then we see something amazing happen. We see what Jesus says happened, or God says happened in the early church. The world will stop and take notice. I don't know, I, I, I just... I want to experience... Here's the thing, I love... I'm kind of r- rambling all over the place here with this, but my brain is just like going a thousand miles an hour. This is all I, I'll, I'll just say as we, as we just kind of end this. is simply this. I love this church. I love what God's doing in this church. I love what God's accomplishing in this church. But I'm going to say this. There's so much more. And that's not because we're, it's bad of us that we're not there. That's how big our God is. There's so much And that's the thing is I, I pray that we never become complacent with what we have, but we always strive for the more that God desires for us. It's like, I want it that. Like we should, exp- I want that. I want the abundance of what God is able to do in this church. Especially when it comes to how we care for one another. I don't know if any of that makes sense. But man, there's a desperate part of me that's like, man, there's so much more. And I pray that God just stirs that in all of us. There's so much more. Where people will look at us and say, man, I don't know what they got, but I want what they have. Over the next couple of months, you're going to hear some more about um, some exciting things when it comes to care ministry that we've been working on. Um, it's one of those things that God's put on my heart over the last year or so. Um, there's a group of people that are currently working on some different aspects of what's it look like for a church to care for one another and how can we do that in a way that is honoring to each other and honoring to God. Um, and in the next couple of months, I'm excited that you'll hear some more about that and what we're planning. But as I close today, this is all I ask. If you are not currently praying this prayer, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer every single day. Every single day, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer if you're serious about this church and what God wants from you. And it's simply this. Jesus, help me love your church the way you do. That's it. And when I say church, I'm not saying Blessed Hope Community Church. I'm not saying this building. I'm not saying any of that. I'm talking about the people that make up this church. Simply that prayer every single day. Jesus, help me to love your church the way you do.
man, here's the thing that I love about that prayer. You will never stop praying it. Because it's impossible for any of us to ever love the church exactly as much as Jesus does. But man, every single day, I can grow in loving it more and more. So I'm going to ask all of us to pray that prayer. Moving forward, Jesus, help me to love your church as much as you do. Help me love it the way you love it. Help me see it the way you see it. Help me see these people the way you see these people. I challenge us to pray that prayer. Gracious God, as we leave here today, allow us to go with an excitement and a passion for this church. Because first and foremost, you created it. You have blessed us with it. You have given it to us. And this is seriously one of the greatest gifts that you have ever given to us is the people that surround us right now. I don't know how often the world can get in our way that we forget that. But you gave us yourself, Jesus, first and foremost, and you gave us new life. And in part of that, you gave us this family. You gave us these people. You've given us this relationship with one another. You've given us brothers and sisters in Christ. So I pray that this, I simply pray that your your spirit will guide us into the, the truth of that prayer. That every day, Lord, we simply ask, Jesus, help me to love your church the way you do. Or bind us together, bond our hearts together in a way that the world can never understand. Lord, bind these people together, brothers and sisters, your children, bind us together in a way that the rest of the world will never understand. Until by the power of your grace, they will experience new life in you and become part of this family, then they'll understand it. Lord, I pray that so much glory will be found for you inside this church as we live life together, as we love one another, as we minister to one another, as we do it all for your glory and for your purposes. We give you praise. In your precious name we pray. Amen.